Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for February 24th, 2019. Each Sunday during this season of Epiphany, we will hear a personal reflection from Russ Dean and a homily from Amy Jackstein. Today they speak on a new faith and the aggravating followers of Jesus. for my Lord? Who be a witness for my Lord? Who will be a witness for my Lord? Chapter 9, A New Faith, Leaving the Blood In, begins with these words, I was raised on the blood hymns. You might know them. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is a fountain filled with blood Drawn from Emmanuel's veins And sinners plunged beneath the flood Lose all their guilty stains Lose all their guilty Lose all their guilty stains And sinners plunged beneath the flood Lose all their guilty stains Would you be free from the burden of sin There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, 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 wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. We better stop there before we have a Holy Ghost revival just breaking out here. I was raised on those hymns. I sat down to write that chapter and they just, all those words just came out. I didn't open a single hymnal. I just wrote them all down. I had forgotten how graphic those hymns are. A fountain filled with blood. It reminded me of a sermon that I wrote years ago. And in that sermon, I talked about my experience of going to the hospital in Birmingham with a friend who was doing open heart surgery. What an amazing, incredible experience. And I told that story, and I only used the word B-L-O-O-D a couple of times. But at the end of the day, one of the choir members came out, and she said to me, I almost had to get up and leave the choir loft with you telling that story about that open heart surgery. Because, you know, I don't do blood. 
Yeah. But she was raised just like I was on those same hymns. How did we do that? I'm glad we don't sing the blood hymns anymore. But about 15 years ago, I was sitting in the hallway of a Holiday Inn Express in Dayton, Ohio. It was an Alliance of, meeting, Alliance of Baptist meeting. The last meeting was over, and I was there sitting with my friend John Ballinger. John has preached here before. He's a pastor in Baltimore. And we were sitting there talking. And you know, preachers know how to have a good time on Friday night in Dayton, Ohio. We were sitting in the hallway of the Holiday Inn Express talking about substitutionary atonement. I know all of you have done that on a Friday night at the Holiday Inn Express. Preachers know how to have fun. And in that conversation, John said something that I will never forget. And it's the title of chapter 9 of my book. John said, I would take out all of those hymns, but I would have to find a way to leave the blood in. I would have to find a way to leave the blood in. The Swiss theologian Emil Brunner says of the doctrine of atonement, it is the Christian religion itself. It is the main point. It is not something alongside the center. It is the substance and the kernel, not the husk. Houston Smith, who is the acclaimed world leader in comparative religions, talks of Christianity, and he says there are three essential doctrines of Christianity. They are incarnation and trinity and atonement. So we can throw out the blood hymns, but we cannot get rid of atonement and remain Christian. You've got to figure out what you're going to do with the story of the death of Jesus and what it means. What does the death of Jesus teach us about atonement, which some preacher has simplified to mean at one meant with God? What does the cross teach you? This may sound like preacher ease to you, you know, stuff that preachers talk about in the hallway of hotels after Baptist meetings, but it's not just about preacher ease. It's about you. There are a billion Christians in the world today, and the cross is the ubiquitous symbol for Christianity. On every Christian church around the globe, there is a cross. You've got to know what that means. What does that mean to you? Half of you are wearing one around your neck today. What does the cross mean to you? You must know what you believe about the death of Jesus and about a theology of the cross. This past week, my friend John Ballinger called me. He's on a committee with the Alliance of Baptists. And next year, before the Alliance Convocation in April, there will be a day-long seminar about atonement. The Alliance is trying to help us think about atonement. And this is part of a bigger conversation. About 10 years ago, I opened my Christian Century magazine. And the whole magazine, that magazine is devoted to mainline Protestant Christians. And the whole magazine was devoted to atonement theology. Most of that taking on the issue of substitutionary atonement, which I'll talk about in just a moment. A few years later, Christianity Today 
which is uh, the magazine most representative of more conservative Christianity, evangelical Christianity, had a whole issue devoted to the same atonement. They came out in a different place, but atonement theology is being talked about around the Christian world today. What does it mean? And I think you owe it to yourself to be able to speak to other Christian friends, to be able to respond to what you hear on the street and on TV and in the news, what you hear about Christian theology. I think you owe it to be able to speak plainly about atonement theology to secular friends who think Christians believe in divine child sacrifice and cannibalism. Jesus sent his son to die for you, divine child sacrifice, some say. And cannibalism, every time you go to have communion, you're eating the body of Christ and drinking the blood of Christ. And that's how some secularists understand, what are you going to say to them? How do you understand the death of Jesus? Substitutionary atonement has been the predominant theology of atonement for our culture. This began in the Middle Ages with Anselm, penal theory of atonement, that God sent Jesus to die for our sins, that somebody had to appease God's honor, and the only way to appease God's honor was through death. Either you will die for your sins or Jesus will die for them, and you can accept that. That's substitutionary atonement. And it is, the, it is all what, all what all the blood hymns are about. Jesus died for you. It is part and parcel of evangelical Christianity. It's what you hear all preachers talking about. When, when my son uh, Jackson, who is uh, a senior at Presbyterian College, when he goes to Amy's home church occasionally, he comes away every time thinking there are 35 people sitting there. They've heard the same sermon every Sunday for 10 years. How many more of those people need to get saved? But every Sunday, the sermon is about Jesus died for your sins. That's what it's about. It's in our culture. You cannot escape it. You've got to know what you think about the cross. This is the theology that is so predominant in our culture. And John says, I'd take all those hymns out, but I've got to find a way to leave the the blood in Donald Bailey says, there is an atonement at the heart of God. And this is the key to me for understanding the cross. There is an atonement in the heart of God. I think you cannot understand the life of Jesus without understanding the death of Jesus. But Jesus was in a long line of prophets who questioned the Jewish cultic system of sacrifice. For, for thousands of years, uh, people have been practicing bringing a sacrifice as a substitute, a scapegoat for our sins. And the Jews practice that. And the whole cultic system that came to its apex in the temple in Jerusalem was built around bringing a sacrifice. And in offering that sacrifice, you appeased God. But from almost the very beginning of Judaism, there's also been a line of prophets who spoke against that. You can go all the way back to the book of Chronicles, where the prophet says, to obey is better than sacrifice. From the very beginning, the prophets were pushing against this idea of offering a sacrifice in my place. To obey, for you to obey is better than for you to just bring a sacrifice to the altar. 
What did Micah say? What shall I come before the Lord? Shall I bring a thousand bulls? Shall I give my firstborn for the sin of my soul? No. God has told me what the Lord requires is just that I do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God. The prophets pushed against the sacrificial system, and I think Jesus was pushing against that system too. So it's ironic when you turn Jesus into the final, perfect, ultimate sacrifice, you have only validated the system that I think he came to overthrow. To obey is better than sacrifice. Jesus did not come to save us from God. That theology pits God against Jesus. And Jesus is the good guy who comes to save us from the wrath of God. That's not what I believe. I believe that if we see God in the life of Jesus, what we see is not Jesus dying to save us from God, but Jesus showing us who God really is. God is sacrificial love. I think I've gotten through this whole sermon series without getting emotional, maybe, but I'm not going to finish the sermon without that. Let me just promise you that right now. 1996, I was in Brookwood Hospital in Birmingham. It was Thanksgiving Day, and I ran down the hall to the waiting room, and all of Amy's family was there. It was Thanksgiving Day, and I said, we have a nine-pound, five-ounce turkey. His name is Jackson. Our first child was born on Thanksgiving Day, 1996, and I was so happy to share that news. And I ran back down the hall, and when I opened the door to go to the room, I thought, I'm in the wrong place. I, I've turned the wrong way. I, I must be in the operating room or maybe I'm in the emergency room because when I opened that door and I looked in, there was blood everywhere. There was blood everywhere. And what I learned later is that a nurse had turned over one of the pans. You know, dads are not supposed to see this. We want to, we want to make everything antiseptic. You know, children are born. It's just beautiful. It's wonderful. No, I got to see the real thing. That was a mother's blood all over the floor of that delivery room. And I have never heard the phrase labor of love the same again. Amy gave her blood to bring our child into the world. It's a labor of love. And there is an atonement in the heart of God. Jesus did not die to save you from God. Jesus died to show you what faith is all about. It's not about believing that Jesus died. It's about Jesus calling us to die too. we got to find a way to leave the blood in. Who'll be a witness for my Lord? 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 What gets me about the blood hymns is how peppy they are. I mean, there's power, 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 power. In the precious blood of the Lamb. When Russ's chapter starts with the lyrics of some of these old hymns, as we were walking and talking our way through this service today, he would start a verse, and I'd just jump right in, harmony and all, never once looking at a hymnal for words or notes. 
I have not sung those hymns in over 30 years. And they are as ingrained upon my memory as the ABCs and 123s. Some of those hymns about the blood of Jesus and the hymns about dying, you know, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll, don't y'all know it, is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. I mean, that's happy. And I'm not ready, but I say it as a child as if I was ready that day. They're some of the most lively and catchy tunes. And my faith was born and bred on these hymns. And I don't think I ever once noticed how gross and yucky they were. Almost all of the blood has been removed from the hymnal that we use at Park Road Baptist Church. And in addition to the hymnals that are typically in your pews, my desk is cluttered with other hymnals, new ones that draw from the use of familiar tunes, but with all new words. And in those hymns, the blood has been replaced with themes of justice and peace and love. If we're honest... I think it would be easier to sing the blood hymns with their peppy tunes and all, because in those songs, we have no responsibility. Jesus has already paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, and now I'm washed white as snow. He died. I'm saved. We're done here. These new hymns, though, these hymns that call for peace and justice and mercy and action, they should stick in our crawl a little bit. When you stop focusing on the blood and death, and when you start looking at Jesus' life and ministry, you recognize that our calling is to live his life of sacrificial love. Well, I've said it before in a sermon, and I'll say it again. Following Jesus is aggravating. There is no more profound thing I can say about it. We need to be singing hymns about going the extra mile and turning the other cheek and giving to anyone that begs. We need to be singing about forgiveness. We need to be singing about preparing a banquet feast for the poor and the lame. We need to be singing about our responsibility to the outcast and the oppressed. We need to be singing about feeding the hungry and clothing the naked. We need to be singing about mass incarceration. We need to be singing about educating our children. We need to be singing about inclusion and acceptance. Kind of wish we were still singing the blood hymns. Because in those songs, I have no responsibility. In those songs, there's no action that I must take except to say, okay. Thank you. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Following Jesus is aggravating. And it's difficult and it's exhausting. Following Jesus is an exercise in constantly thinking through our choices and then choosing to respond in a Jesus-like manner. 
Following Jesus is a practice of always assessing the situation and then making decisions that he would bless. Can you see how it would be easier to just think about the blood? Because the way of Jesus requires denying ourselves, taking up across ourselves, and following him. We are to lose ourselves for the sake of another, even laying down our very lives for another. We are to love at all costs, but we would rather hold the grudge and keep the record of wrongs. Love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, those are way too difficult. We don't sing the blood hymns around here anymore because that theology doesn't require anything of us. But the blood has a place if it means self-giving, sacrificial nature of faith that we are all called to. The self-giving, sacrificial nature of faith is what it is all about. It's why we gather here to remind ourselves that we are loved and we are called to love. It's why we pool our resources in this place, believing that we can do more together than we can do alone. And we will sing in a few minutes. Yet humbly in our striving, we rise to face its test We crave the power to do your will as once you did it best. On us let now the healing of your great spirit fall and make us brave and full of joy to answer to your call. That's harder than there's power, 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 power. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Following Jesus is aggravating because he calls me to give up my privilege and he calls me to unconditional love and he calls me to act for justice and peace. So let us aggravate the systems of injustice and let us aggravate the powers that be until all of God's children are treated as God's beloved And let us live our lives as the aggravating followers of Jesus, no matter what it costs us. Who'll be a witness for my Lord? Who'll be a witness for my Lord? Who'll be a witness for my Lord? Who will be a witness for my Lord? May it be so. Amen. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.